the channel. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is going to be a short live session. This week, I'm going to try to ignore the traditional YouTube algorithm thing and try to do these really short lives to try just try to get you uh, what you need to know as soon as possible. So hopefully this format um, is popular. We'll see. Uh, we're just going to do a, kind of a, a weak test on it. But if you're new to the channel and want to maximize your stocks and investing by following along analysis from a real Wall Street investment hedge fund analyst and tech CFO, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Um, but regardless, as you see here, we cover so much more on our daily um free daily email newsletter called Morning Sense, which you see right here. So don't forget to sign up for that link in the description. We're able to cover everything, um, all the news you need to know, plus all my analysis uh, every day in written form. Um, and I'm not able to make a video every single day. So if you want to know, uh, just always stay in the know. Uh, don't forget to sign up. Um, cool. So today I really wanted to cover uh, Moderna saying that its COVID-19 vaccine is almost 95% effective. Uber uh, discussing selling its self-driving car business and also birth rates declining, especially in the U.S. So um, let's start out with uh, the markets. So the markets are up quite a bit because of this Moderna news. I think the markets really want to see the light at the end of the tunnel with uh, the coronavirus pandemic and the return from home, the return to work. Uh, as you can see here, the S&P is up almost a percent, about 90 basis points. And, uh, you know, the Nasdaq com composite is up about 50 basis points, half a percent, um, which, you know, I think in the return from home scenario, the, the stocks that have been left behind over 2020 uh, so far, which have been kind of the industrials, the value, healthcare, a lot of these sectors um, have really been left behind by tech because they've been overly affected by the pandemic. Uh, the market really wants to see them uh, catch up and as we return from the pandemic. So, you know, I think from a return from uh, return from home, a lot of the tech stocks that have really ripped up uh, in the past year will sell off or at least kind of uh, trade sideways in relation to some of the value names that have been less sexy over the last year. Uh, so in the short term, again, on our target ROIC allocations and on both on, you know, at a couple cents.com and in our free daily newsletter, uh, we're trying to add in a little bit of return from home exposure, uh, since we're kind of overly weighted here on this channel and just my mentality on innovation oriented, uh, companies. So, you know, they're going to be unfairly looped in with, uh, stay at home stocks, but we'll see over the long term. Anyway, um, just kind of moving on to Moderna. You know, that's the big news of the day. Uh, Moderna has said its experimental coronavirus vaccine was 94.5% effective at protecting people from COVID-19 uh, in an early look at the uh, study results. Uh, of the 95 COVID-19 cases with at least one symptom in Moderna's 30,000-person study, 90 had received a placebo and only five received Moderna's shot. Um, and that, it, you know, it basically shows that it's effective at pre preventing the disease that causes uh, symptoms, including severe cases. Um, you know, we not only is this do we have this Moderna one coming out, we had Pfizer last week, which co-developed its vaccine with BioNTech, uh, saying that it's 90 percent effective in late stage trials. Uh, and Pfizer is seeking emergency FDA approval this month. So now we have kind of two really late stage, very, very high efficacy um, vaccines uh, 
potentially getting emergency use. Uh, not only that, we get Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Novavax, plus a lot more, also in late-stage late trials. So uh, what we know, though, is that uh, these last two, both Moderna and Pfizer's vaccines are based on mRNA technology, which is pretty new and cutting edge. Um, I don't want to delve too deeply into the technicalities of it, but I uh, did some research on on it. But um, so it's, it's a big uh, kind of feather in the cap for the mRNA technology that's emerging for vaccines. Um, this is a pretty big score for Moderna. Uh, they're based out of Massachusetts. They've been wildly unprofitable and basically don't really have a product on market yet. So this will be their first really product on market. Uh, the federal government com committed roughly $2.5 billion to uh, Moderna's vaccine research and testing through its Operation Warp Speed. Um, and uh, also made plans to buy at least 100 million doses. Again, um, you know, I think the logistics of distributing the vaccine will be a concern going forward. Um, and just, you know, I, but I do expect these two mRNA vaccines to get emergency approval, you know, at least over the next couple months. Um, I have no reason. I am not a uh, biopharma tech uh, specialized, you know, research doctor. So I have no um insight into why I would think otherwise. But anyway, going into uh, Moderna, I'm going to switch over to my desktop right here and we'll go over to Moderna. So, um, you know, I did a Moderna YouTube video. So go check that out if you haven't already. I just like a 20 minute video, super deep dive into Moderna, and Moderna stock. Again, you know, the stock has clearly performed in a way that's been really good, especially since they're releasing this news. Uh, and I didn't really like the stock back then. So it's just one of those things that I was willing to just not be a part of. Um, and I'll explain it right here again, but definitely go into the video if that stock really interests you. Um, I basically made a back of the envelope estimation that the COVID-19 industry earnings um, would be about 10 to $20 billion in annual COVID-19 profits. Um, a lot of these companies have said that they're not gonna, they're gonna try to not make a, um, they're not gonna try to make a lot of money or they're going to price it to where they're not going to make a lot of money during the pandemic stage. Uh, instead, they would make uh, money kind of on the endemic stage. So think about the flu vaccine. Whenever this, this pandemic is over, uh, they'll jack up, they'll kind of get to fair, fair market price when everyone's just kind of taking it every single year, right? So I had estimated that it would be like $10 billion of annual COVID profits, but let's say and that was based on 1 billion vaccines per year. But let's just say that let's double that and say 2 billion people take the COVID vaccine every single year in the endemic stage. So that's like 10 to $20 billion of annual COVID-19 profits. Um, as of this morning, it, you know, it's trading at $35 billion valuation, the stock that is mRNA. Um, and, you know, assuming an industry standard 10 times, uh, EBITDA multiple, I mean, that's mRNA, that would imply that uh, the stock is fairly priced. If you assume that they take about 15% to 30% of the total COVID-19 ongoing vaccine market share going forward. Um, we know that they're going to have extremely fierce competition from Pfizer, ticker PFE, uh, Johnson & Johnson, ticker J&J, &J, Merck, ticker MRK, AstraZeneca, ticker AZN, uh, and, and so many others, right? There's so many even smaller players really coming out with their with their versions. Um, so post-pandemic market share is just going to be uncertain. Furthermore, Moderna's vaccine needs to be stored at and transported at negative four degrees Fahrenheit, or that's like their goal, which isn't, it's like, I guess that's a normal freezer, sub-zero freezer. 
which is for those of you outside of the U.S., that's negative 20 degrees Celsius. Um, I agree. We should probably all be on Celsius, but anyway. Um, and uh, but like Pfizer's needs to be uh, Pfizer's mRNA vaccine needs to be stored at like negative 90 degrees, I, I believe, or something like something crazy. So um, one interesting play that I haven't really looked into yet is. A lot of people are thinking about, about buying um, like carrier air conditioning and like these these logistics and air conditioning stocks because um, all these vaccines are going to need to be distributed at very, very low temperatures. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, to me, Moderna stock doesn't look particularly attractive as an investment since the company has such a wide array of profit outcomes. If Something that I would, I would um, point out here is... You know, the stock is extremely volatile. It opened up today at like up 14%. It declined in plus 5%. Now it's plus 9%. I think this is the market just trying to figure out what it is, right? It has such a wide range, uh, array of actual outcomes. Um, so we just don't know, right? I don't think that this is a kind of a, a fat pitch investment and we're here for fat pitch, pitch investment. But some of you might want to play it for some riskier thing. But uh, anyway, I'm on the sidelines on this one. To me, I think Pfizer, ticker PFE right here, um, or J&J, ticker J&J, Johnson Johnson, um, they're probably better risk-adjusted investments with a much more diversified and stable revenue stream on each of them. Uh, and they're both trading at like, you know, uh, Johnson Johnson's trading at 12.5 times forward EBITDA and Pfizer's trading at 11 times forward EBITDA. So pretty reasonable valuations. Again, that you're kind of going for this like dividend free cash flow yield for them. But I mean, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess Pfizer's trading at under Johnson, 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 Johnson's higher quality. They've got like band-aids. They've got, they're just much more diversified. So I just say those two stocks are probably more investment quality. MRNA is complete speculation. And you just don't know, like once someone comes out with a shelf stable room temperature, um, vaccine, What's that going to do to all these mRNA ones that need to be sto stored at sub-zero temperatures? We don't know, right? Um, so we don't know. Like, you know, I think it's a, again, I only have, I don't care if you're working with $1,000, $100,000, a million dollars, $100 million. There's only so much uh, you can do uh, with your money. And so we're here for fat pitches and we want to be, like our job here, um, if you shouldn't be watching this channel or any stock channel, to be honest, if you think that um, if you're not, if you're just going to diversify across everything, right, and have like sub one percent positions, um, if you're going to do that, just buy the S and P five hundred or the Nasdaq or something, right. But our job here is to concentrate and do our highest conviction, high conviction, uh, great valuation, um, long term secular trend types types of companies, and you know that's generally where we focus on. Um, so. Anyway, cool. So let's move on to our next story. Uh, again, this, a part of this value add is me passing along a lot of this stuff and just making it like worth your time, uh, trying to keep this under 20, 30 minutes. Uh, how long have I been? Okay, so we're at like 13, 14 minutes. Cool, okay. So uh, Uber is in talks to sell its self-driving car unit to Aurora, um, Aurora Innovation specifically. So Uber has spent $2.5 billion in trying to develop self-driving cars. Um, hasn't really gone to plan. Autonomous vehicles could be a massive disruptive uh, disruptor in the space. Um, and it can completely disrupt Uber and Lyft away, or it could actually benefit the companies. I tend to think it's a net negative for them. Um, but Aurora Innovation is a firm developing self-driving vehicle technology. 
and is founded by Chris Urmson, if I'm saying it right, one of the original leaders of Waymo, which is Google Alphabet self-driving efforts, um, and some other former Uber, Uber folks, I think. Um, how the deal might work is that Uber might invest hundreds of millions of dollars in cash into Aurora while taking a minority stake uh, with first dibs on any commercially ready vehicles Aurora produced. Um, there's some issues here, a lot of hair. Uh, Aurora has a private valuation of about seven point seven and a quarter billion dollars with investments from Toyota, SoftBank, and Denso. Um, but you know, oh, ATG, sorry, that was ATG. Uh, Aurora is only worth two point five billion, uh, which meaning the deal would slash ATG's valuation. Um, so, so yeah, sorry. So, just to clarify that. ATG is Uber ATG. Um, so U ATG is Uber's group that they're trying to sell. Um, Aurora is only where Aurora is the possible acquirer and Uber's ATG valuation is last kind of valued at 7.7 and a quarter billion. And Aurora is valued at only 2.5 billion. So they would have to sell it at much lower. I mean, it just like being bought by a much smaller kind of company, etc. Um, you know, and I think merging the software stacks is going to be complicated. Uh, integrating the two are just going to be really complicated. Anyway, so my take, you know, and for those of you that are on, um, you know, our Roic members at a couple cents.com, thank you so much, first of all. Second of all, um, you all know that I'm, I've now added certain uh, return from home stocks to the, to the Roic big board as of yesterday. And we do a premium newsletter where I really kind of break all that down. Um, you know, I, I just generally think that this is probably better for Uber stock. Uber's profitability has been weighed down by trying to develop self-driving technology, but in reality, Uber's probably not the one to do it. They're really a network app. They're not a data science-oriented company. Um, you know, I, I guess you can argue that neither is Tesla, but, um, you know, I just don't think Uber doesn't have the capital reserves and the capital uh, raising abilities that that Tesla does. Tesla is now one of the biggest companies in the world um, and much bigger than Uber. And I just don't think Uber has really the chops to do it. I mean, they've got so much to worry about on their own end. Um, but long term, I, I definitely like I definitely agree that self-driving cars will present a disruption to Uber and Lyft. Uh, but given Uber's low valuation for how quickly its its growth is supposed to be post pandemic and through pandemic, I, I like I lumped it into value stocks that are return from home stocks that we want to add into the portfolio. But, uh, you know, I generally think this is good news. I, I mean, it's up 5% on the day, right? So um, that, you know, I think it's good news. Um, and again, for, if you want deeper dives into Uber, just follow along with the content. If you're new here, again, if you're getting any value from this video, please don't forget to like the video. It really helps me on the algorithm. Although this you know, these lives are going to, you know, not do super well in the algorithm, but every like, I appreciate every single like and comment. Thank you so much. Um, cool. So the last story I really wanted to cover is that a COVID baby bust is bad news for certain businesses. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this. I, I think I heard it, but reading this this morning was like really kind of smack in the face. Uh, we've seen a COVID-19 driven decline in birth rates. Uh, U.S. birth rates have already been declining. It's, but it hit, it hit its lowest level in more than three decades last year, in 2019. We don't have data for 2020, but new projections estimate that we'll have up to half a million fewer births in the United States, um, like 
you know, this year and next year compared to what we had before. Um, first of all, you have a weak, uh, births are correlated with a weak job uh, with a job market. So lower births with a weaker job market, higher births with a stronger job market where folks are more comfortable financially to have a family. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then not only it's not only the U.S. Barclays estimates China's birth rate will drop by eight percent this year. I mean, just if you, I'm gonna flip back to. Hold on. I mean, if you just kind of think about it logically, right? Um, people aren't going out a, a lot as they used to. Uh, they are not meeting people of the opposite gender or sex, and uh, they're not getting married. They're not having babies in the same numbers as they usually are when everyone's locked down for a full year. So it's just kind of an interesting intellectual like, wow, okay. But anyway, all that, how does that translate to the investor? I think, um, so the global baby formula market was valued at 45 billion in 2018. And it is expected to grow, it was expected to kind of dub, over double over the um, following kind of decade to over $100 billion by 2026. So 45 billion in 2028, 2018, to 100, over 100 billion in 2026 um, by Fortune Business Insights, um, but this could really put a wrench in the valuations of companies that materially make money from global or baby formulas, um, baby like materials. Right? I mean, you can even go all the way down the food chain um, to like uh, Britax or sorry, not Britax, uh, Graco. Um, I think protect, um, yeah, just some of the like stroller makers, et cetera. But the ones that this article really focused on was, um, wreck it Ben Kisser group, which is a British company. Um, uh, they trade under, uh, ticker RB under the London exchange. Um, they make baby milk products like Infamil and Sustagen, uh, you know, wreck it along with like Nestle and Danone, which are also European stocks. Uh, they trade under, um, Nestle trades under NESN under, I think, the Switzerland exchange. I have to double check. Um, but, you know, these are all companies that make a lot of baby formulas and baby, you know, baby, you know, I'm sure diapers, Procter & Gamble, Gamble and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, and they've been really building this piece of their business out over the last, you know, couple of years. I think it's traditionally been thought of as just like a no-brainer it's global growth. It's going to be super stable consumer staples companies, right? Wreck it. Ben Kisser bet uh, big on baby food with a $17 billion acquisition of me, Johnson nutrition three years ago. Um, you know, they've since taken more than a $6 billion write down on the business. Procter and Gamble has tried to go develop like more sophisticated products like diapers and, and stuff to pump up its decreasing sales growth. Uh, Huggies launched a line of plant-based diapers that cost five times more than the cheapest diaper on market. I don't know. Like, I guess people want, um, uh, yeah, if I guess people want, uh, yeah, like plant-based diapers, it makes sense. I guess if you're going to be, if you're vegan, you probably want that too. Um, and you know, the bottom line is that although birth rates in China probably won't recover next year, the following years are considered also auspicious for childbirth according to the Chinese zodiac we do know that it's correlated in China with the zodiac and you know that does actually matter over there so um, for those of you more more familiar with the culture you can comment below um, US birth rates will generally depend on the strength of the labor market and I imagine the strength of the ability to go out to a bar and meet people um, but I think it's an interesting trend to think about um, you know 
giants like Reckitt, Ben Kizer, I don't know if I'm saying that right, ticker RB on the London Exchange, Nestle, ticker NESN on the Switzerland Exchange, Procter & Gamble, ticker PG. Um, these are all stocks that trade at generally, I looked this morning, like 2.5% dividend yield. So good, solid, stable company, dividend yield, boring, low growth, very like basically just inflationary growth. Um, and those are the stocks for capital protection and dividend income. They're not really our cup of tea here at Sense. Um, we are younger skewing, you know, 25 to 40 year old, you know, wanting multi-decade growth. We want to find the next Amazon, find the next capital compounders. Um, so we really prefer innovation oriented capital appreciation, capital compounding investments, um, high ROIC over cost of capital types of things. So, uh, you know, kind of boring. I wouldn't buy any of those stocks, but uh, for those of you that own it or a little bit older, um, you know, might want to think twice about how stable you think a Procter & Gamble, Reckitt-Benkiser, and Nestle are uh, in the face of a potential baby bust, which is the opposite of a baby boom. Um, cool. So I think that was mostly what I wanted to cover. We covered, um, I wanted to just tease a little bit here. Um, if you haven't ca caught Morning Sense this morning, um, you can go on at a couplecents.com. We always post the, the newsletter there as well. Uh, kind of spread the, I talked a little bit about is the stock market expensive or is it overpriced? Um, you know, as you can see here over the last, this is a 14 year chart um, that I did for you guys. Uh, hold on, let me zoom out. 14 year chart. Basically we're trading at 22 times forward priced earnings on the S and P 500. Um, and you know, I talked a little bit about it in the premium ROIC only newsletter um, this uh, that I sent out yesterday, but I also did a snippet uh, this morning. So go check that out. If you're not signed up for Morning Sense already, uh, please sign up. It's it's completely free and you get all the analysis and it's just easier um, in my schedule to kind of get up early and write it for you. Uh, videos are harder, so hopefully this live format's okay. Um, algorithm aside, right? Uh, but um, yeah, so thank you so much. And if you got any value, uh, please like the video and uh, leave me a great comment. And I read all of them if I can't respond to all of them. Um, I try to read all of them. Like, you know, I have, I have the app and uh, well, thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna try to keep this short so people can uh, watch it after the fact and keep it under like 26 minutes. So thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I'm gonna try to do this every day for the rest of the week. And so, um, Oh, let me just show you my target allocations while I'm out, out here. So this hasn't changed from last week. Um, and again, you get it every day from, you get it every day in the newsletter. Uh, so just sign up, but this is target allocations. We, we still have 10% allocation in cash. Um, we've added on the dip in growth stocks. We saw it was a kind of massive sell off. And, and you all know, a lot of you know what my favorite stocks are. We've added a couple uh, high conviction stocks on the rock big board since. Um, over the weekend. So um, go check that out. Appreciate you all. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you as much as you appreciate me. So thank you so much and um, happy investing. See you, see you tomorrow. Bye.